0: Hello, and welcome to Overdrive, a program that samples as much as it can of the experiences of cars and transport. I'm David Brown. And in this program, we take a look at the latest news stories, including a new plan for connecting Brisbane and managing shared bikes without docking stations. We talk to Lenore Fletcher, the General Manager of Corporate Communications for BMW in Australia, who has some fighting words about how far behind Australia is in encouraging alternative fuels. We road test the Audi S4 Avant. What a rocket! We also talked to Brian Smith about a fantastic new ride-sharing scheme, which turns out to be basically a bus. And in our panel discussion with Brian, we take a cheery look at stories, including how San Francisco is looking to ban delivery robots on streets. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, to begin the program, let's have the news. The Queensland Government has released a report called Connecting Brisbane that outlines a roadmap for the future of Brisbane's public transport system. The report says that the principal reform tasks include how to provide infrastructure, unlock existing capacity and overcome current constraints and avoid congestion. And secondly, a core reform principle is how services will improve through a network of providing more frequent, integrated services on a turn-up-and-go, high-frequency trunk network supported by feeder services. Sydney is to get its first bike share system, but it's not one that will rely on having to return the bike to a docking station. Melbourne will also be getting one of these schemes. Users locate bikes on a smartphone app and leave them wherever their journey ends. The bikes are locked and unlocked with a QR code or a combination generated by an app. There are issues to this approach. Will bikes be just dumped in inconvenient locations? And what happens if this starts to occur in large numbers, as is the case in China? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it, but how we do it could set the public acceptance of this mode of transport well into the future. The Minnesota Department of Transport is exploring the safe use of an autonomous bus in cold weather climates to position itself as a leader in this fast emerging technology area. The next phase of the project is a control demonstration at their pavement test track facility to identify risks and challenges for future implementation efforts. Perhaps the biggest exposure to the project will come with a plan to conduct a live test during the week of the 2018 Super Bowl. Bicycle design has been fairly consistent in the last hundred years, but the technology revolution is now adding new and relatively expensive features to them. They are getting more sophisticated with digital devices and electric power. This can make them more of a target for thieves, but also provides ways of keeping track of the devices. The Dutch company Van Moof is using its GSM tracking enabled system on their smart bikes to locate stolen bikes anywhere in the world and build a better picture of the global bike theft trade. Tracking devices like navigation systems in cars could also provide a wealth of data on the nature of cycle trips. The incompatibility of cars and pedestrians has been highlighted again by events of road vehicle drivers. This is not just about terrorism, but also those who have mental issues without necessarily being associated with a political cause. Attacks in London have seen steel barriers on the approach to London Bridge, Melbourne now has concrete bollards at public areas, and Sydney will get protection devices in front of the Lint Cafe, the site of a siege over a year ago. The advent of autonomous cars only adds to this need. Clearly there are new dimensions that traffic engineering will have to face within the broader context of separating incompatible modes of transport. Adopting new forms of transport can challenge a social order. We judge things on very specific, perceived problems at the time, usually of self-interest, that have little to do with how the transport will be used in the future. This is true of bicycles, certainly in America – 2017 is celebrated as the 200th anniversary of the invention of the bicycle which was initially powered by pushing with your feet on the ground. The application of pedals in the early 1860s was a major step in the popularising of this mode of transport but it disrupted the social order and so brought about criticism that reflected the prejudices of the times. The Atlantic City Lab Online Information Service has been running a wide-ranging series of stories on cycling. At first, bikes in the US were for the rich, not surprisingly, when one would cost $150 at a time when the average worker earned just $12 a week. As an elite toy, the ruling classes were prepared to accept it, but the price soon came down. With cheaper prices, the working class now had a means of travel to places that they would not have visited before, including the haunts of the more well-to-do. In 1897, a Louisville doctor proclaimed that women should never ride bicycles. Cycling led to a social mix that some could not cope with. The same Louisville doctor was aghast to think that cycling was leading to people having conversations with other people they met on the road rather than meeting through proper channels, one would assume. The Century magazine in 1894 reported that, "...the bicycle is indeed the great leveller. It puts the poor man on a level with the rich, enabling him to sing the song of the open road as freely as a millionaire." Perhaps that's enough to justify its invention alone. The South Australian Government has released an update of its thirty-year plan for Adelaide. The plan looks at recent major changes to the city and maps out a strategy to make it more livable, competitive and sustainable into the future. After the introduction, the plan sets out 15 areas for policies and actions. Number one is transit corridors, growth and activity centres. Number eight is for transport in general. There is a strong push to increasing housing density and making the most out of transport corridors. Active transport is encouraged as access to the main corridors. The plan calls for walking catchments to fixed-line transit stations should generally be within 800 metres and within 400 metres to high-frequency bus stops. A broader issue, however, might be how we provide transit capacity in corridors in the light of new technologies. No matter what you think about global environmental issues, the very clear fact is that local pollution in our cities is harming and killing people. We need to act now. Electric cars will reduce local effects, not only in terms of harmful gases, but also in terms of noise pollution. Furthermore, alternative power sources for transport represent, in an increasing way, jobs and growth in the future. So, should we actively encourage the adoption of these vehicles? And by encourage, I mean do more than just cheer from the sidelines, but rather provide incentives and or infrastructure to help vehicle manufacturers promote vehicles to customers. Lenore Fletcher is the General Manager of Corporate Communications for BMW Australia and she joins us on the line. Lenore, thanks very much for your time.
1: Not a problem, David. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Thank you. Is Australia behind in encouraging new technology like electric cars?
1: I can only say to you that Australia is so far behind that it's frightening. Um, In terms of comparing us with our colleagues in Europe and in the USA, we rate behind uh, those a very long way and we in fact rate behind third world countries or what we would consider to be emerging economies or third world countries. So it really is an issue for Australia that, that we need to get on board with.
0: Not just for the sake of the decadent joy of private motorists, an expression I've used, it is the core at a whole range of technologies, isn't it?
1: It really is bringing in a lot of new technology, a lot of new componentry, a lot of new manufacturing processes. I mean it's not just about the vehicle itself and the emissions that come from the vehicle, it's about the entire value and supply chain.
0: What would we mean by encourage them? What would that involve say at the federal government level?
1: Um, The interesting thing in Australia I guess is that we have uh, such um, a segmentation of our market. so we have a lot of Uh, federal legislation. We have a lot of state-based legislation and then on top of that we also have a lot of local-based legislation. So Australia, such a large geographical country, such a small population, it's not an easy ask. But in terms of what we need to do on a basis from a federal point of view, we really do need to look at what we can do in terms of incentivisation and also in terms of infrastructure.
0: Incentivisation might be uh, getting rid of, say, the luxury car tax on more environmentally sustainable cars. Would that be an example?
1: Look, that is an example. You you know, you can have tariff and duty relief. You can also have things that are cost neutral, such as allowing EV users privileges that that normal gasoline uh, vehicle users may not have. For instance, the use of transit lanes. Hmm. Um, use of free parking in city centres. Again, though, you're going from a federal through to a state and a local point of view. But there are there's a lot of low-hanging fruit that hasn't been plucked yet in Australia and that would make a lot of difference in a very quick period of time.
0: There is a desperate need not to look at it in a very one-dimensional sense but in a multi-dimensional. The other thing is that it's bringing us to understand the customer needs much better rather than the generalities under which we used to plan transport. I'll finish with this one uh, point. Inter- an international company, uh, you have to tread carefully with the politics of the situation. Is it uh, a company uh, might well be acting with a firm belief in, say, something like climate change? I've talked about local only because it is a clearly focused thing. Which I hope, of course, will bring about a better overall global climate as well. And I was very pleased to hear you say that your your company is manufacturing something with totally renewable energy. Do you have to tread carefully? Might some people become a bit narky? Uh,
1: are we talking locally or internationally?
0: Uh, well, let's talk locally. <laughs> uh,
1: look, I don't think we have to tread. Um, too carefully. We have had extensive and um, uh, long talks with all levels of government and we um, have a very good relationship with different government departments but we feel very strongly that there is a need for this recognition of climate change and that there is a need for uh, action in the Australian um, environment. We're very strong about that and we have seen it um, echoed in Europe, in the US, etc. It, it is a given. We need to get on board and do something about it. So look, we we do value our relationships within uh, the Australian environment, industry and government um, but we do also stay true to our beliefs that we need to be actively doing something about it
0: relationships I think is very important I don't want someone just standing on a soapbox I want them interacting and bringing up facts and opportunities and things that can be beneficial to all I I appreciate your approach Lenore thank you very much for your time
1: not a problem David it's an absolute pleasure
0: that's Lenore Fletcher the general manager of corporate communications for BMW Australia this is overdrive across Australia Let's talk a road test, but uh, perhaps with a little bit of a different introduction on the line is our good friend, Brian Smith. Go, Brian. G'day, David. Now, Brian, you and I raced uh, a couple of times in some Dutton rallies, which were often full of Porsches and Evos and Subaru WRXs. We tended to take the more unusual vehicle in there. Over the period, we had things like a Mitsubishi Magna, a, a, a Prius. Do you remember we took the Prius?
2: We set some records in that Toyota Prius, I think, basically because no one had ever raced a Toyota Prius on any of those circuits before.
0: (laughs) One of the cars we took was a Volvo station wagon.
2: The V50, as I recall, it was great fun.
0: It had that image of both being a Volvo, that conservative old guy wearing a hat sort of image, but it also had the station wagon. station wagons, can they be trendy, Brian?
2: Well, this one, certainly, and and yes, I can think of several station wagons that are kind of iconic. I think the Subaru Liberty station wagon, the earlier versions, were a really good-looking station wagon. The VW Passat,
0: hmm.
2: um, and of course, um, the Volvo V50, that was a, a really good-looking station wagon.
0: It also um, allowed for a couple of good one-liners. I think you said we'd go fast except for... The caravan on the back,
2: of course. <laughs> that slowed things down a little bit. Uh
0: wheels magazine reported that it was driven like it was stolen but that's another issue now i have been driving another talk about performance the audi s4 avant Now, the S4 comes with a turbocharged 3-litre V6 engine, 260 kilowatts of power, 500 newton-metres of torque at a very low 1370 revs. Mate, this was really a a great car, which, among other things, looked wonderfully from the side. When you came out in the morning and saw it face-on, it it didn't overpower you, but from the side, I think it is a a really elegant, stunning, balanced-looking car.
2: I like an Audi A4, David, and they're um, they're certainly a car that that has that kind of understated power. They're not a very flashy car, but they can be pretty hot. And the S4 is the hottest of the lot, that's for sure. I think um, I've always liked, uh, you know, the Audi S4 and the A4. And how did did they have the eight-speed Tiptronic? um, Yep. Gear shift, David. How was that? Oh, pretty
0: good. It's rated at 7.7 litres per 100 kilometres, which I think is pretty good for something of so much power.
2: Do you believe those numbers, David? A, oh, no. Have they, have they learned their lesson?
0: Yeah, but if you compare it with others that you don't believe as well, <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you, you can compare them. You know, in theory, you should add at least 10%. And if you really push it hard, of course, you're not going to get that. But uh, permanent all-wheel drive. But the thing about it was it was such smooth power. It reminded me of a spaceship in a movie more like things like dr spock and that the reason being not a real spaceship you you remember apollo 13 made for reality where the rocket takes off and it shakes rattles and, and it's got raw power as it surges up it's like driving an old detroit v8 from the 60s it's not comfortable but it's at least it's got grunt well this is now the more starship enterprise it's smooth and it's elegant, and it sort of almost pauses for a second, and then just goes whoosh into hyperspace. <laughs> I, I guess the Starship Enterprise had turbo lag as well. I'm not <laughs> sure, but this one uh, it really made me feel like. The other thing was it had fantastic dials on the front, you know, on 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 the dashboard.
2: What did they do, David? So, so it's got a got a few clever things: adaptive cruise control and things like that, traffic jam assist. The smart. So I'm very keen to know. More around the smarts.
0: The dials, of course, are all digital, and so you can flip between three or four standard screens, or you can get the dial in front of the driver to put the whole map of the navigation system up in front of you.
2: Oh, very nice. It's got a big screen, has it?
0: Yeah, bigish. Yeah, you know, good screen for that, but then again I've just been uh, ruined by the fact that I just drove a Tesla. Uh,
2: yes, I want to know much more about that.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, look, talking about going into hyperspace, yeah, the, the Audi is, what, 4.7 seconds, 0 to 100? Yeah, that's really that's very, very yep. fast. The Tesla was 2.4.
2: 2.4 seconds to 100 kilometres. Wow. Yeah.
0: But anyway, I'll put that aside. The other reason I like the Audi as a spaceship type in a, in a fictional sense is the elegant interior. It wasn't wood panelling. The last thing you would want... In a you know the starship enterprise is wood paneling you don't have that you have metals uh, mm. but this had that sort of um, not Kevlar what's the word uh, carbon that fiber. sort of carbon fiber that makes it look like it's modern the other thing I like the air vents go all the way across the dash and what that means is that you can get air coming out in good volume without sounding like a toilet hand dryer. Brian, we'll uh, uh, catch up just after this break because we're going to talk a a bit of uh, quirky news, but also some real traffic and transport uh, issues. You're listening to Overdrive. And catching up with Brian Smith again, Brian, we have a few unusual quirky stories to talk about, but first, a bus by any other name. Could you fill us in on the details of that?
2: Certainly David it's um it's a sort of reassuring story about high tech for a transport planner like me um we've probably heard of of some ride sharing companies like Uber you've probably heard of Uber and Lyft is another in the states that that provides these ride share services you have an app you you uh, want to travel somewhere and you can um you know, request a ride to a place on an app, and the and uh, the driver will come and pick you up. Well, um, as they've developed these ideas, and particularly in cities, they've started Uber and Lyft have started to sort of, have um, I guess try to to get more people together. So where they might have had a purely dynamic uh, arrangement where wherever you were, the car would vehicle would come to you. In cities, they're increasingly asking people to to sort of come to a point. Where several people might be able to be picked up at once, and increasingly the the route that the vehicles taking might start to actually be fixed a little bit, so that it might say, well, actually we're going to travel this route here, and and these are the places where we'll pick you up, and and overnight, some people have realised actually what they're providing now is a bus service. You know, it's it's got a fixed route, it's got stops, uh, and it, it's got passengers, and so. Um, the, I guess what it's showing is the the um, that how robust normal sort of bus planning is in that mm. setting, you know, a predetermined route during predetermined hours and a frequency of service and pick up and drop off locations. So uh, the more things change, the more things stay the same, David. Because uh, going through all of this disruptive technology, they've arrived right back at a bus route.
0: We need corridors and we need them in the traditional transit sense. We have oversold autonomous individual cars as though they're going to be a utopia that you can catch anywhere, anytime, and all you have to do is sit for an extra five minutes, but you can work while you're there. None of it is that simple at all. The other thing is that the state government in New South Wales is starting to say, oh, we're going to get on-demand services and door-to-door. Again, I think that is totally overselling it. The fact of the matter is, and Brian, you know that if you have a bus route that winds all over the place, A, you put on a lot more travel, B, it becomes incredibly um, inconvenient for people, and so I think yes. you go back to that point of solid routes You, know, you might change them and, and 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 be adaptable. That's fine, but the the core principle is a uh, the idea of running a transit system down a corridor. I think in more and more cases it will be a bus-like vehicle, be it autonomous, uh, be it uh, electric-powered, be it whatever you like, but it will still it will be. Much more a vehicle rather than necessarily just a railed uh, infrastructure.
2: I agree entirely, David. One of the uh, the shortcomings of bus services compared with uh, rail-based services like light rail or, or heavy rail uh, is the the lack of permanence of their yeah. um, of their facilities. So, with a train station, um, a, a rail service, we've got you know big stations that are prominent in our communities. You've got fixed lines that are there all the time. You know that there's a, a, a public transport service here at this station and there are the tracks and they're permanent. With buses beyond the sort of bus stop, um, once the bus has passed by, it may as well never have been there. You, you've got no guarantee that that uh, you know you will find a bus on any given point. Even if you go to the bus stop, again, there's no guarantee that, uh, that a service will appear. And so the more flexible and responsive things are, the less permanent they are and the less I think they're likely to help shape cities because in the end, this is what these transport modes are alike, are about. They are trying to, to make a city work. And I think um, what the Uber and Lyft or certainly Lyft service is starting to show is that, that being certain about a service being available and the route that it takes and the points at which you can interact with it, is a very important thing. And so um, Jarrett Walker, who's a, is a, a blogger and a writer on sort of urban transport, uh, he, he, he talks about transport in cities being a geometric problem. So you, you talked about individual vehicles carrying people. Well, you know, if you've got individual vehicles carrying 50 people, they are just going to take up more space uh, in any network than one vehicle carrying 50 people. So there's a compromise between the most efficient route for you as an individual and the most efficient route for uh, for the city and any system that, that provides mass transit is always going to be better for a city.
0: Adelaide has just put out their update of the 30-year plan for Adelaide and they've got a list of policy and action areas. Number one is transit corridors, and associated land use with it. Number eight is normal transport, other transport issues. So they appear to be very much grasping the notion of what it, what you said, which is, I think, is absolutely right and brilliant. That it's shaping the city rather than letting it fall to a blancmange of um, individual market forces, which are not necessarily there for the collective good.
2: Yes, and, and and reinforcing sort of low density and sprawl and things like that.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Look, any city, any city um, to survive, any big city needs mass transit. In Sydney, eight of ten people travel by public transport to the city centre. Mm. It's it's around the other way when you look at, at uh, for trips not to the city centre to business parks and to to uh, centres that are you know perhaps uh, away from the city there you're lucky to get anywhere from five to twenty percent of people mm. using public transport but that's not sustainable any city's success will depend on encouraging walking cycling and public transport
0: i heard a lovely story the other day that our congestion on the road and we just can't assume that we can just build out of that by making it available for individual drivers everywhere they want to do but it's so congested now that we've uh, uh, reduced, if not in some cases eliminated, competition in terms of getting some work done because it can only go to the local person because anyone from beyond the local area <laughs> right. has to factor in far too much into the price for travel.
2: I did a project looking at um, access to transport for people um, you know, who are in very high unemployment areas Uh, And certainly, um, if you arrived at your job interview by bus um, in many of these business parks in Western Sydney, you were pretty much guaranteed of not getting a job Hmm. because uh, the reliance on PT meant that you were less likely to be reliable. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, so having a car was almost a prerequisite for getting a job, which is pretty hard for some folk who, uh, you know, low paid and don't have a lot of money.
0: All right, Brian, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, David. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Lenore Fletcher, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive can be heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network. You can listen to longer segments of each of the features by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au or podcast a whole program on iTunes or your favourite podcast service. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.